Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good morning, everybody. I am so glad to see you guys. Can we just give the Lord a round of applause? Because, man, I want, I want you to know it's, so, it's just so good, isn't it, to, to be able to be with other human beings, right? And it's so good to worship the Lord in person. And I'm so grateful uh, for this team. And man, that was that that just did my soul good. I almost want to say, let's stand for closing prayer. But I've been preaching to empty, dark rooms for six months. So you guys, I might not ever let you out of here uh, today. We're going to be here for a while. But um, I want to just thank the team. I, Miranda, where you at? I heard that. I heard that strat going off back there. I loved that. And uh, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure Pastor Trevor uh, had, uh, uh, took a moment uh, last week when you were here uh, to welcome our new uh, worship leader and his wife uh, on our East Campus, uh, Jose and Giselle. Uh, and uh, would you stand? Can we just honor them? These are, these are fantastic people. And so take a moment of personal privilege and get to know them. And we're just so delighted to have them on our team. Such a great, great thing. So I'm glad to see everybody. I want to remind everyone, we're going to do communion today. We're going to do it a little different. So we're doing, we're doing you know, we're used to that word right now, right? We're going to do it a little different. Everything we're doing is different. And um, so hold on to that. Don't take communion yet. We're going, to all, we're going to all do that together at the end. But I do want to say, uh, take a moment, if you will, and grab your notes. Uh, if you have those, or Bible, or your Community of Hope app, we are in week two uh, of, I think, a really important series, really important conversation right now uh, in our church uh, that we're going into. And we're talking about the deeper change that is possible uh, when we grow in a relationship with God. I think it's always important every now and again to point people toward deeper things, uh, to some of the real character issues in our lives, to some of the deeper growth that is absolutely possible as we get to know the Lord better. And we're in a conversation uh, right now. Right now, We're calling the series Come Alive. And uh, we're using the phrase that is a phrase that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote into his letter to the churches in the uh, region of Ephesus. So we know that as the Paul's letter to the church of Ephesians. Uh, we call it the book of Ephesians. And uh, embedded in, uh, in that book is this tiny little observation, 15-word observation that he just uh, scrolls out, scribes it into uh, this letter, and uh, this is the phrase we're going to put it on the screen. It just simply says this, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want us to say that out loud together. Just read that right off the screen. Ready? Go. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, it kind of sounded really muffly when you did that, but <laughs> anyhow, I, I know we got to the heart of it. And so, um, you know what? Scholars think that this was actually a line from a hymn. 
that the early church uh, challenged one another with, uh, comforted one another with, and so Paul was almost out of just a sense of collective memory. He just wrote that into Ephesians. All of the people of that day probably understood it. I was thinking about this because many of you know or you come from a tradition, right? When we get to Easter, how many of you know, like when we get to Easter, we'll often say the words, you know, Christ is risen and someone will say that and then we respond by saying what? Christ is risen indeed. And, and that was a way that the early church, uh, oftentimes underground, was letting, you would let other people know that you were a follower of Jesus. This is kind of what you'd say. Scholars think this is the, one of the same things. And that it was not uncommon for the early church when they would walk around Rome, when they would walk around in the outskirts in these little towns, and they saw another follower of Jesus, they would say this, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ the Lord will shine on you. And it was just a reminder that God is doing work, God is doing important work. And, 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 and he would later write this, he who began a good work in you, he said, will what? Complete it. And so, you know, God has, God has started us on a journey. We're on a journey together. We're, 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 we're moving and we're growing in a relationship with a risen Christ, and God is going to complete what he started. How many want to say amen to that? Right? Because sometimes right now, especially I think in our world, we can look and go, is it over? Is it done? Is it stopped? Is it stalled? And we just need to be reminded that God is still yet doing really important, powerful things. And so uh, this is sort of the underlying passage, the underlying uh, meaning of this scripture. And so we're talking about some of the deeper things that come to us in a relationship with a living God. Now, if you're with us last week, we named the talk Daddy Issues. And uh, we shared, I want you to know, I shared out West uh, that all of us come to a moment, uh, this like a moment like this in our faith from a million different directions. So if I was, uh, you know, if we had the time and I had a microphone and we went around and I said, how did you come to an, a knowledge of God's love for you? How did you come to a knowledge of God's love for you? We would, we would share just a million different stories in this room. I won't do that. We'd all catch the COVID, but... Um, you know, um, if, if, we would, if we would do that, there's a million different things. But here's the thing. All of these different journeys line up under some core beliefs that are embedded into our faith. They're embedded into Holy Scripture. And so this is kind of the idea we're talking about. And uh, if you were with us last week, uh, I shared with you, or, or Pastor Trevor shared with you, one of these core beliefs. And here it is. We believe that you will never be all you're created to be outside of a relationship with God. Now, because we're a church that sort of leans toward the outside, we're a church that leans to people sort of navigating a relationship with Jesus Christ. If, if you're here this morning and you don't yet believe that, we give you permission not to believe that, but we would say this, test it out. And uh, one of the truths that's embedded in Scripture is this idea that we'll never be all we're created to be outside of a relationship with God. And the scholars tell us about this. They say this is the image of God within us, that the, the Bible really says we might think of moments of creation where every time God would create, he'd say it's good. He'd do something, he'd go, behold, it's good. He'd create over here and he'd go, behold, it's good. And then when he created humanity, he said what? Behold, it is very good. And scholars think what was actually going on there is this, is this is the biblical account of the idea of the image of God that is stamped into every human soul. So every one of us bears the image of the Almighty stamped into uh, our human soul. 
And so the idea of this is, this deep theology, this understanding is that if um, we're ever going to be all that we're fully intended, fully created to be, we have to come to an awareness of that. We have to, to actualize that. We have to step into it. And so that's kind of one of the truths of Scripture, one of the truths of, of this series that we're going at. And then there's another belief that I think is the belief that we're striking at right now more specifically in this series. I want to show this to you. And, and it is this idea that your emotional well-being and your relationship with God are completely and absolutely interconnected. So like if we're growing in one, here's the idea. We will grow in the other. The problem enters in, and, and many of you are going to see this, when we, we think we're growing in one, say we're growing in our awareness of who God is, but our, our, our well-being and our emotional health, our ability to, to be a, a, a good human being is not tracking in the same way as the other thing. And so this is an idea. Now, I know that Pastor Trevor probably didn't say it this way because he's more pure-hearted than I am. But, but here's what, what I said last week on, out, out at, the, at the West. It's sort of like this idea. If, if you're a jerk, okay, and you become a follower of Jesus, you're now a jerk who follows Jesus. Okay? So when I just said that, a lot of you went, well, that, now that clears up a lot of things. Right now you're going, I, now I understand about Susie or now Bill makes total sense. This, this is the idea. And, and I'm not even really kidding. I, I think this is true. This is, this is where we start. And now the, the challenge becomes of, of letting Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, right, transform human character. I think it was Soren Kierkegaard who said it this way, and I love this phrase. Maybe you want to write it in your notes. He said, now with God's help, I shall become myself. Isn't that awesome? That there's just potential for us to to be different, to be in a way better, to step into all that God has for us. But if we're going to do that, I I, I think it it begins with just an awareness of where we start. And as a pastor who loves to talk about these kinds of themes and ideas, uh, I, I think this, I think too often, if we fail to understand this accurately, uh, we can fall into some critical mistakes. I want to give you, give you a couple of these mistakes. One of them is this. We could assume that the Christian life's little more than a magical prayer, some mental ascent to a God somewhere off in the distance. And so over time, we lose any real depth of meaning around that truth. And we don't go on, as John Wesley would say, toward Christian perfection. We stop. And another belief that I think sometimes is critical in this area too, or misunderstanding, and this is really what, again, this series is striking out, we mistakenly assume that our faith development and our development as a healthy and well-adjusted human being are actually two separate things. And they're not. If we're kind of running at this thing the right way, this is, this is what I always think of. I think it is then my relationship with the risen Christ 
in my day-to-day encounter and experience with the risen Christ has an overwhelming potential to root out all of the brokenness and to root out all of the character flaws of my life and, and all of these things begin to track in the same way. And this is what we're going at in this series. All of us know what it's like to maybe run into somebody uh, who's been in church a long time, but they're not really different. And, and I, I remember years ago when we were, we were putting together some material that has become now our connections class, and, and I remember making an observation one day, and I just wrote this down, and now we've, we've been preaching this in our class for, I don't know, over a decade. I said this, probably you'd agree with me. I said, there's a huge difference, I believe, than, um, you know, in, in terms of a longevity around the faith versus deep maturity in the faith. Those are different things. And I think sometimes religious environments, can I just say like this, can, if we're not careful, they can create this idea that it's totally possible to just if I just hang around here long enough, I can experience the deep change that is possible in Christ. And, and I, I kind of want to push against that and say, I don't, I don't know that that's fully true. I mean, if I hang around in my garage all the time, I don't turn into my truck. <laughs> it, it, it takes something more than that. And so I'm, what I'm, I'm so thrilled at is this is really what we're talking about um, uh, in this series. Now, last week, and y'all know this, I want to move through this, don't want to linger here, but, you know, we just began really by exposing, I think, some of the biggest lies that we all deal with in our, in our culture and deal with in our lives are the same temptations Jesus overcame prior to his ministry, and, the, and they're all lies of identity. That's what's going on in our culture right now, all these lies of identity. We define ourselves in certain ways. One of the the lies of, of, of our identity, which are these temptations of Jesus, is I, I am what I do. It's the lie of performance. That if I just do enough good things, I'm a good person. I, I'm just defining myself by my own performance. And only, the problem with that lie is if you don't perform well, you don't, you don't have a great identity. We looked at the second identity. We said the identity or the lie of possession, which is I am what I have. That's got such a firm grip in our culture today. You know, that we just define ourselves by what we have. And, of course, we looked at the third one, which is uh, the, the lie, the identity lie of I am what others think. And we learned that Jesus showed us the freedom that comes by living life with a completely different value set. I am whose I am. And I got to tell you all, I, I really believe... And you can, you can challenge me on this if you care to. I really believe all of us have to have an encounter somewhere along the journey with that truth, that, that our identity shifts off of what I do, what I have, and what others think of me, and my identity shifts into I become you know, ad- identified by a, a, an awareness that I, I play to an audience of one, which is Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus just so modeled this. He just, he, he, he got all of his identity cues from the Father. Here's a question mark I'd almost have in this talk. Have you ever had an experience of that? You know, when, when, when did that truth really dawn on your soul? I think all of us need to have that. And I, I'm not really talking in this moment really about salvation. 
Now, that's obviously a very important step when we transfer our trust from our own inherent goodness over to the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. But I think after that, we need to see the shift in identity. I was sharing out West last week that I remember a time in my own life when I was wrestling with this truth and I was reading a, a, a book I would commend to you. It's Brendan Manning's book uh, entitled The Ragamuffin Gospel. And, and he often refers to this moment I'm talking about right now as this moment of what he calls vile grace and indiscriminate compassion. In other words, all of us have this wonderful encounter when we realize the only the only measure between us and this holy God is his grace extended to us and it comes to us in this indiscriminately compassionate ways. And I remember I was away at a conference and I was, I, was, I believe God was doing some deeper work in my own heart around this, this idea and I was reading this book. I'm sitting out by a pool. I'm at a conference. I actually, to be honest with you, I kind of skipped the afternoon session and I was you know, hanging out by the pool, just kind of heavy in spirit. I know we've all had moments like that. And I was reading this book, Ragamuffin Gospel, and, and Brennan Manning, who is a recovering alcoholic, uh, is, is mentoring a group of recovering alcoholics. And there comes a story in the book when he's, he's sharing in this, uh, this story about ha- having all of the alcoholics go around in, they, in the circle and they would share their life story. And, it, and when he got to this one particular man the man, at first, it was hard to get him to participate at all. And whenever he per- participated, whenever he spoke, he never looked up. He always looked at the ground. And so they're all sharing their different stories of brokenness and shame and all of this. And then it became this man's turn. And he started sharing his story and, and how you know alcoholism had just destroyed his life and destroyed his relationships. And, and he just still had such... A, a sick spirit around him and, and he's sharing, he's looking down and he tells this story. I'll never forget it. He tells this story of this moment where he got up one morning and, and he lived in a northern part of our country and he, it was cold outside. In fact, I think the temperature was at about zero and, 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 he, and he's driving to work and he, he said, I'm just going to stop by his favorite, what he called watering hole, just for a quick drink before I go to work. And he said he went in there, he was going to stop in just for a moment, and he was in there like nine hours. But that's not the horrifying part of the story. The horrifying part of the story is he had his four-year-old daughter in the car. And And he's sharing this story while he's looking down, filled with all of this shame, and Brendan Manning began to say to him, he said, look up. And the man, the man kept telling his story, ignoring Brennan and looking, looking down. And Brennan said it again a little more strongly. He said, look up. And he ignored him and he kept telling his story. And finally, Brennan man had just started yelling at him. And he said, when you're telling this story, look me in the eye. And you imagine it was all he could do. And this man just kind of looked up. And when he looked into Brennan's eyes, Brennan said, this is what he saw. He saw every other man in the room looking at him with compassion and forgiving grace. And Brandon goes on in the story and says, in that moment, something cracked open in this man's soul and he took his first step toward God and the next morning when they convened, he prayed for the very first time. What did he run into? 
vile grace and indiscriminate compassion. And I was reading that story and, and, and although I don't have that experience in my life, just like every one of us in the room, I have my own experiences with shame, don't you? And, and I remember reading this story and I, I started to cry. And here's what I would tell you. I couldn't stop crying. And I'm trying to get a control of myself and I'm outside by myself by this pool and there's this guy walking around and he'd, he'd walk around and he'd say, can I get you something to drink? He saw I was in distress and I'd know and I waved him off three or four times and about the fourth time he came around and now I'm just, I'm a mess. And he says, can I get you a drink? I was tempted to go, well, what do you have? But all of us need to have a moment like this. When we recognize that God's grace is also for us, it's for me. And so this morning what I want to do, I think if, if really the first talk is a, 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 a talk, the way that I'm really saying it, if, if, if the first message is really how to know yourself, I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to give you some track and some language about how to become yourself. Okay, like last week, how to know yourself. You want to go back and listen to that talk. Here's the talk for this week. How do I know? How do I become myself? And I thought of a story I want to read to you uh, that happens down in the Older Testament. It's the story of 1 Samuel. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, it's really a moment shortly after you're going to know the character. The character is King David. And uh, embedded within this incredible story is just this observation uh, around what happens in part of the story that's incredibly powerful. It's 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. And I think this is part of the story it's easy to miss, and I want to pull some truth out of this for you and for me this morning. Here's how it's recorded in Holy Scripture. It says this. So David said to Saul, let no one lose heart uh, on account of this Philistine, for your servant will go and fight him. And Saul, the king, replied, you're not, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. And I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Now your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And so the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And then David fastened on his sword over the tunic and he tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. And he said, I cannot go in these, he said, to Saul because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he went off to approach the Philistine. Let's pray together. Lord, would you just use this 
uh, these few moments together to say to us something that we all need to know and all need to understand in uh, our walk with you. And so God, it just similar to last week where your very life is an example of resisting the temptations that flow our way, would you empower us again, God, to see the lives we're living and to move us into deeper waters. This we pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. Um, this is such a great story. And uh, it's, it's a great story because I think it's one of the towering figures uh, of the Bible on any list. This is the story, of course, of David, the shepherd boy becoming king of Israel, uh, father of King Solomon. Here is David. He's the youngest of eight brothers. Uh, Samuel, the prophet, I think, has already come and anointed David to be the future king. And so now this is sort of the story that's embedded in this where all of this begins to take place. But if you look deeper in the story, what you see are, are some tremendous temptations for David to fall into. And I think they're in so many ways the same temptations that we may fall into if we're not all the wiser around this. And this is what I want to talk to you about because I think it has such power for us in terms of how we become ourselves. Here's what I was thinking about this in a way, kind of funny, just sort of go with me, right? So we live in a culture that uh, has almost created another nation. And there's almost another nation right now in our culture. And that nation is uh, to express yourself, right? To, 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 to be yourself. In fact, the reason we named the message, you do you, is I have a friend of mine who always says that to me. Uh, he'll say all the time to me, we'll be talking about something and he'll go, well, you do you. I'll do me, you do you. And, and if you think about it, right, we, we live in a culture where you do you has become sort of just the new thing we're all trying, trying to live into, right? And in fact, I think if that's sort of the new nation, if that's sort of the new utopia, if that's sort of the new land we're all going to, I, I think we even have a national anthem. Now, it's an older song, but I think this is the national anthem of that nation. It's this. Right? You know what it is? Sing it. Express yourself. Right? Here, one more time. Express yourself. Okay, turn it off. You guys stink. I, I just, in my mind, I saw everybody jumping up. We'd be dancing. We were socially distancing, high-fiving one another. That, that's, the, that's the national anthem of our, of our day. You express yourself. And, and, and so when I look at this story, I, I want to draw your attention to some powerful things uh, that are going on here. And whenever I read this story, my mind wants to break it down, really, uh, along two lines. When I, when I read this part of the story, there's some stuff in here that's messy. And quite honestly, there's some stuff in here that's glorious. And I want to tell you, first of all, what's messy I want to go at uh, what's messy, first of all. And, and if you look at this from a particular perspective, I think it's very powerful. Here's what's messy. I'll just say it very succinctly. All of us, all our lives are going to deal with the temptation, the gravitational pull, if you will, to live into someone else's armor. We're all going to have this temptation. We're all going to have this temptation to live into somebody else's expectation of ourselves. Think with me about this. Oftentimes we have people that flow through our lives and, and, and they have your life 
figured out for you. I thought I'd get an amen when I said that, right? You ever had anybody in your life like that? They got, they got everything about you figured out. I remember early days of my ministry, people would come to me and say, you know what, God, God told me, that's always hard when they say that. God told me, and then they would tell me something about me or about my pastoral ministry. And when I was younger, I would, I'd struggle in that. And then as I got older and maybe a little more callous, I was like, well, when God tells me, he's telling you about me. When God tells me about me, I thought that would even be funnier. So anyhow. But I think all of our lives, we're going to have a temptation to live into someone else's uh, armor. The temptation to be who others think you should be. There's a strong difference, I think, between healthy affirmation and putting people uh, that people put on and people putting on you something that doesn't fit. This is really the idea that's going on. Now, here's what I want you to imagine in this moment. So, so uh, let's see. Samuel's already come. He's anointed David to be the next king of Israel. Remember, Samuel's already gone to the house. He's he's already gone through all of the different brothers, and Dad brings out another. Uh, son and 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 you know is it Samuel who's going no that's not him no that's not him no that's not him and and then his dad even who doesn't think that much of David who's out in the field he said that Samuel goes are do you have any other kids and he goes well I already got another one but you don't want him he's out in the field and Samuel's like get him and bring him in here and when he sees him right this is this is that moment now here's what I want you to think about if you're David you're young I think I think that's kind of a challenge. I think that's why Paul later on wrote in, in one of his uh, letters to Timothy, he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, right? So he had, he had that sort of strike against him. And then he had the strike that, I mean, the king, the king is there in front of him. His dad is there. All the brothers are there. There would have been a tremendous temptation right, for David to just sort of live into the expectations that are there. It would be like this, if this afternoon, okay, go with me on this, if this, I mean, this is the king of Israel, be like, it'd be like President Trump showing up at your house this afternoon. I hope he doesn't do that because he's not well, right, right now. And because I don't want to be political, let's just say President Trump and Joe Biden show up at your house. And, and they have something they want to say to you, but you never get it because they just talk over one another the whole time they're there. <laughs> Finally, you woke up. All right. I just, I just want you to understand the tremendous temptation that David must have been experiencing in that moment to just go with what everybody was saying to him about his life. And you will always have this temptation. And what I want everyone in this room to know is Jesus did not create you to be a carbon copy of somebody else. He didn't. And there's a lot of temptation in our culture to sort of live into that uh, idea. Now, now here's what I think is interesting. I felt like the Lord was telling me about this week. So there's a temptation to live into someone else's armor. Let me tell you what else I think is kind of messy here. There's always, I think, a temptation to live into just your own armor. In fact, as a pastor, I'll tell you this. I run into people all the time because they had some oppressive person in their life trying to design their whole life for them. I've seen people build their whole lives as a rebellion against that, like the anti-that. It's like they overcorrect right off the other side of the road, right? 
I remember when, when my dad taught me to drive. He, he taught me to pay attention. He taught me to do this. And he said, sometimes you're going to have to react because good driving, I remember my dad saying to me, you know, good driving is not just you doing a good job. It's also you being aware of all the other people around you and they're driving. And he said, every now and again, you're going to be driving next to people who don't know how to drive. Right? And then he took me on I-95 and it was like, I get it. I get it. And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, and here's the key in a moment like that. Dale, the key is this. When somebody's next to you and they're not driving and you have, to, you have to respond or react to that, he said this, do that responsibly. Don't overcorrect. He said, if you overcorrect, you can die. And I just want to say kind of parenthetically, I sit down a lot of times with, as a pastor with people and they've built their whole life overcorrecting. And that is not the story of this scripture. And, and, and this is messy stuff when you look at this. You see David uh, working on this kind of thing. You see David in this idea. It would have been very easy for David to say, I'm, I'm out of here. And overcorrect and, 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 and miss God's calling on his life. That's what's messy. But, but can I tell you what's glorious You want to know what's glorious in this? David's life, I think, points to the absolute freedom we find when we live into God's armor for us. And when I look at David's life, it's so powerful to see he didn't need to live into the king's armor He didn't need to overcorrect and miss his moment. But what his life does point to for me, his life presupposes a walk with the living God. Do you notice right now in this story, embedded in this story, David, David knew exactly who God was. He not only knew who God was, he was willing to defend God's name. Let's go after that Philistine. He's defying the name of the living God. God, I love this story. It's like a battle cry. I mean, all all your life, I want you to know, you're going to run into people who are going to defy the name of the living God. And are you going to live into their expectations of you? Are you going to overcorrect and run the other way? Are you going to live into God's armor for you? What I love it, it's almost a comical story David puts on the king's armor. Can't you, wouldn't you have just loved to have been a fly on the wall? Like it just doesn't fit. He's rattling around in there. It's like he's trying to hold it all on. It's falling all off. And finally just like peels out of that, picks up five smooth stones, puts them in his shepherd's bag, and says, let's go kick the Philistines but that's my translation of what was happening there. And here's what we'd say. Rest is history. Rest is history. You got a Philistine in your life. Might be a person. Might be a hurt or a habit or a hang-up. 
might be a bad memory. Might be a besetting sin. And you're going to have people in your life that are going to give you every kind of prescription against that thing. But what you really need to do is you need to learn how to rest in the armor of the, li- of the living God who's given it to you. I think this is why Paul would later write this. He'd say, it, he said, finally in Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You notice he didn't say, hey, be strong in your power, right? Because that's the battle cry, right, of this new nation. You got the power. But I don't know, the Bible I read says that God's power is made perfect when I'm what? Weak. Finally, he says, be Strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I don't know about you, but that's what I need. Anybody else in the room? We need it. So um, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to receive communion. And communion is really, it's just a reminder again. It's really a, a reflexive way the church is going. Not my power, your power. Not my strength, your strength. Not my truth, your truth. And so what an awesome opportunity we get to do, have today to receive this. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I, I thank you so much, Lord, that you're such a good God to us and that you, you have given us a way, Lord, not to live into someone else's calling for our lives, someone else's armor, and you've given us a way that we can not overcorrect and live lives of rebellion that we think are helpful to us and then to learn only later that they're not. But you've actually given us an opportunity, Jesus, to live into our calling, live into our moment through what you offer to us, which is your strength and your power. Give us all we need today to step with courage into this truth. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.